It's the Adam Ragusea Podcast, episode 49, and I just need to wax poetic for a half hour or so about the wonders of the Brazilian steakhouse, the churrascaria in Portuguese, and no, I'm not going to dishonor the good people of Brazil by futilely attempting authentic pronunciation, I said churrascaria. If there is a more towering temple dedicated to the glory of all meats, then I don't know what it is. Nobody does meat more honor than the roving gauchos of the Brazilian steakhouse, an institution originating from the far southern tip of Brazil that we will explore culinarily and historically this episode. The word churrascaria refers more specifically to the kind of grill or grilling method used by such restaurants, churrasco. Churrasco is often translated into English simply as barbecue, and in that context we mean the definition of barbecue used in British English and, to a lesser extent, Northern United States English, where barbecue just means grill. In the southern U.S., barbecue is a hot-smoked meat, but in the context of this, we're talking about grilled meat. A churrasco grill has a number of interesting design features that we'll get to, but for now, understand that it is simply a really, really big grill. And on it, they cook these giant skewers of meat. Imagine a Middle Eastern kebab, but the individual meat pieces are three or four times as big. And the people who do the grilling, the churrascarios, Sorry, that's like Spanish pronunciation, not Portuguese pronunciation, but it's the best I can do. The churrascarios rotate these skewers frequently as they grill. So the result is rotisserie meat with an incredible crust all the way around. And most excitingly, it is usually served in the restaurant rodizio style. Rodizio is a Portuguese word that can literally translate to water wheel, but, like many such words in many languages, it is also used to describe all manner of rotating things or rotating actions. It's similar to the Greek word gyro or the Turkish word doner or the Arabic word shawarma, which has a Turkish origin. These are all words that basically mean to spin or a spinning thing. And they are used to describe rotisserie meats from the Turkish cultural sphere of influence, which includes all of the former Ottoman Empire possessions in Arabia and in the Balkans and down into Greece and has more recently spread up into Germany via immigration. Rodizio in Portuguese also means to turn or a thing that turns. And while Brazilian steakhouse meats are indeed turned as they grill, rodizio generally does not refer to the resulting meat itself. Rather, rodizio refers to the theatrical way in which the meat is served in the round. You pay a flat fee for your meal, and then those cowboy costume-wearing waiters simply roam around the dining room holding a searing hot skewer of meat, one meat or another, and when they pass by your table, they simply offer you a slice off their hot, hot meat stick. You either accept the meat or you say, no, thank you, and you wait to see what other kind of meat the next roving, rotating waiter might bring by. It's all-you-can-eat 
So there's no risk in trying something you might not love. It's unlimited surprise meats. I love trying all the meats. The only thing I say no to is the grilled pineapple. Not because I don't like to eat plants. I love to eat plants. I just generally don't like cooked whole fruit. So I say no to the grilled pineapple. But anyway, rodizio in this context refers to the rotating cavalcades of different meats and different meat bearers who grace your table until your case of the meat sweats grows so acute that you must go home and take a cold shower. Can you tell that I went to a Brazilian steakhouse last night? My 41st birthday is coming up on Wednesday, so on the preceding weekend, Lauren wanted to take me out to dinner, and I've been saying all year that I want to go to Brasieros, the big Brazilian steakhouse here in Knoxville, Tennessee. I've been driving by that place almost every day for almost two years now since we moved to Knoxville, and I think about going there every time I see it perched regally up on a hill off Kingston Pike, the road of kings. I fell in love with Brazilian steakhouses a few years ago. It was during my many professional trips to Columbia, South Carolina. There's a big high school journalism conference that happens in Columbia every year. And when I taught journalism at Mercer University in Georgia, me and my work buddy, Meg, would do these overnight trips all over the southeastern United States trying to recruit journalism students at these different high school conferences. And we always had a total blast. You may know Meg from the comedy podcasts that she and I made together about Billy Joel and Sting. Download those anywhere you download pod. In Columbia, South Carolina, we would walk from our fancy conference center hotel downtown. We would walk past the Columbia Museum of Art and into Cowboy Brazilian Steakhouse, an unremarkable name for a remarkable place. Gorgeous, cavernous, grand, historic downtown location. Columbia, South Carolina is an underrated city in general. Very beautiful. And Meg and I would stumble into that place completely exhausted and starving after spending all day at our conference table trying to convince high schoolers to go to our college and the meat cavalcade would commence. Meg does not eat that much, but she always seemed to get a kick out of watching me eat everything as I gradually melted into a full meat coma. Some of the happiest moments of my life unfolded at Cowboy Brazilian Steakhouse in Columbia, South Carolina. It's basically the birth of my kids, my wedding to Lauren, and in third position, it's me and Meg absolutely crushing Cowboy Brazilian Steakhouse. We didn't have one of those back in Macon, Georgia, where we lived at the time, so driving to Columbia was always a big deal for me. Then, when Lauren and I moved up to Knoxville, Tennessee, it took me like two seconds to clock Brazieros, a giant hilltop strip mall temple of meat next to the P.F. Chang's, where the good Lord intended it to be, I am certain. I am certain that I am destined to have the best birthday dinner of my life at this place on Kingston Pike. But first... I will need to train. Can't go into a hot meat battle like that, cold. Another thing I know for certain is that our sponsor today is Aura. And I am equally certain that if I were to search your name on the internet right now, I could find your email address, phone number, home address, 
the people you're related to, their home addresses, that information is out there in all kinds of public documents like government docs, or it's in semi-public docs like the, the lists that data miners sell. To whom do they sell your info? To robocallers, to telemarketers, spammers, or really anyone else who wants to know exactly where you can be found. When your information ends up on a people finder website or whatever, you can ask them to take it down and generally they will, but that gets to be a ceaseless game of whack-a-mole. This is where Aura can help. You sign up at aura.com slash Adam, or you hit my QR code if you're uh, watching this on home video. Sign up and Aura will find data brokers exposing your information and they will automatically submit opt-out requests on your behalf. They can even opt you out of junk mail and telemarketing lists. Aura.com slash Adam to get a two-week trial. See how many data brokers are on your trail. Aura also monitors your emails and passwords to see if they were involved in any data breach. They monitor the dark web to see if your stuff is coming up in any illicit forums. And if Aura finds something, they can advise you on what to do. Aura's app also has a VPN, password manager, real-time credit and identity theft monitoring, internet parental controls, it protects your devices from malware. Aura has almost every internet safety tool you'll ever need, all inside one app for one great price. Let Aura do the hard work of keeping you safe online. If you sign up right now, Aura will give you a two-week free trial at Aura.com slash Adam, or snap my QR code to get that two-week trial. Find out how often your info comes up online. Thank you, Aura. Anyway, my birthday dinner at... Brasieros, the Brazilian steakhouse in Knoxville. I've been prepping for this meal. I've been in training. I didn't eat for two days in advance. The day of, I went to the gym. I did this giant workout, trying to work up the need for protein. Two hours in advance of dinner, I popped a totally legal cannabis gummy. And at that point, I unfortunately had to eat a cookie because THC, the main psychoactive component of weed, is lipophilic and fat-soluble. That's why orally ingested cannabis has historically been baked into brownies or cookies or whatever. I'm not entirely sure why gummies have taken over the market, given that it's tough to make a gummy with fat in it. A gummy is normally just like a wet sugar candy given structure with gelatin or agar agar if you want it vegan, call them agar. I'm not sure why gummies have taken over the new legal cannabis market in the US. It might just be an issue of shelf life. Cookies and brownies go stale and they take up way more space in a box for shipping. In contrast, gummies are small. And this is one of the multiple ways in which the United States Congress accidentally legalized recreational cannabis nationwide with the 2018 Farm Bill. The fact that this happened is still kind of dawning on everyone here, but it happened. The 2018 Farm Bill legalized hemp-derived products containing no more than 0.3% Delta-9 THC. So now you can sell a whole bottle of little gummies, each one containing no more than 0.3% Delta-9 THC, which isn't enough to do much to you if you eat only one gummy as directed by the bottle. Anyway, gummies are popular, and it's not like I'm going to literally smoke weed because it's 2023 20, and smoking is disgusting. Plus, 
you know, actual marijuana is still illegal in Tennessee, so gummies. But there's a problem with gummies. It seems to depend on the person, but certainly with me, if I just eat a gummy on an empty stomach, it passes right through me and I don't feel a thing. In contrast, if I take it with at least a little rich fatty food, like a cookie, the THC is able to hitchhike up the normal fatty acid absorption and metabolic pathways. And eventually it gets to that big ball of fat in your skull called your brain, where it makes you feel funny and hungry. That is the munchies. That is why I took this gummy two hours before my birthday dinner at Brasieros, and why I took it with a cookie, even though I was trying to save up my appetite. People often say that cannabis increases their appetite. That's why people with uh, like wasting diseases have taken medical cannabis for many, many years. They find that it's the only way to make themselves eat when their appetite is suppressed by their disease or by their like chemotherapy treatments or whatever. I don't really find that cannabis makes me hungrier. I just find that it makes food taste way better, which in turn causes me to eat more. And I suppose you could call that a, a kind of appetite. THC stimulates the endocannabinoid system of the human body. Endo is short for endogenous, which means made inside your body. Your body makes cannabinoids to perform all kinds of cell signaling functions across your nervous system. Endocannabinoids stimulate the various reward or pleasure centers in our brains. We may have evolved them as a means of incentivizing us to eat. We eat Cells in our brain and across our whole nervous system release endocannabinoids that link up with cannabinoid receptors in neighboring cells, and a whole chain of events occurs that lights up the parts of our brain that feel good and happy. And it's not just eating that uh, lets slip the endocannabinoids. There's a 2021 study out of Germany on the so-called... Uh, runner's high that you get during any kind of like endurance exercise. Scientists have long attributed runner's high to the release of endogenous opioids like endorphins. But this more recent study indicates it might actually be due to endogenous cannabinoids. That's right, kids. Distance running gets you stoned. Slightly. Cannabis lights up your pleasure centers and makes food taste insanely good. Plus, I now read that it stimulates the release of ghrelin, which is the gut hormone that makes you hungry. And the result is the munchies, the tendency of potheads to just crush any bag of chips within arm's reach. This phenomenon is why potheads are always a little doughy compared to, say, stimulant abusers. <laughs> Central nervous system stimulants generally suppress appetite. Think of all of the uh, suburban desperate housewives of the mid to late 20th century who would get all wired on diet pills, of course, before the uh, most effective ones got banned from over-the-counter sale, at least. So yeah, I took a totally legal weed gummy in advance of my birthday dinner so that I could swallow even more delicious meat for my money before filling up, and I was so delighted upon entering this establishment. It was like walking back in time to the fancy restaurants of my youth, the 1980s and 90s. I opened the door to a fancy decorative display of free toothpicks and after-dinner mints. 
fancy restaurants are usually too cool for that kind of thing these days, but they all used to have such a display near the door. I'm already really happy walking into Brazieros, and then I see it, the salad bar. Brazilian steakhouses generally have a salad bar. There was a time when most upscale restaurants in the U.S. had a salad bar, and now none of them do, except for some like very old-fashioned U.S.-style steakhouses. Cheap restaurants still have salad bars sometimes, but the fancy salad bar is almost gone. I find myself standing before a fancy salad bar, where they have like cornichons and blanched carrots and green beans and all the normal like lettuce and tomatoes and such, but also lots of different like Brazilian pickles and pico de gallo, which is Mexican, not Brazilian, but the Brazilian steakhouse experience is as delightfully, promiscuously pan-ethnic as Brazil itself. Our waiter drops off the menus. For less money, you can get unlimited select meats, which are basically the cheaper cuts of steak plus chicken, which is super cheap, etc. But for $45 each, you get the full experience. It's literally called the full experience. You pay your 45 bucks and you are legally entitled to any meat you see walking past your table. I got a, I got a Zingu, which is a Brazilian beer that comes in either black or gold. I got both. Came in a frosty mug. The big thick mugs they keep in the freezer and they keep your beer just like ice cold for such a long time. The beer came with a basket of that weird Brazilian cheesy bread, which I'm not wild about, honestly. It's super gummy on the inside, and it's usually made with uh, tapioca flour rather than wheat. I give full respect to the cassava root for all that it does to sustain peoples of the global south, but I'm sorry, cassava powder, tapioca flour, just tastes like blank starch. But that's fine because we got to go up to the salad bar and I loaded up on pickles and shiny, slippery, blanched vegetable sticks. And Lauren got some cold salami. And when we sat back down, she said, I have no idea why I just got this cold salami. We're about to have unlimited hot meat, which is also what she calls me sometimes. Unlimited hot meat, not cold salami. But anyway. We get back to our table and we, we flipped our little cards over. Brazilian steakhouses generally have some little flag system by which you can display whether you are receptive to having a man in knee-high boots come over to your little table and offer you a slice off his hot meat stick. At Brazieros, they give you a little card, red on one side, green on the other. When you're ready for the meat... You flip it up green. Green means go, get me all of the hot meat sticks. The first waiter to come sauntering by our table was carrying the big one, picanha, which is a Brazilian cut from the back of the cow toward its rear end. It's called the rump cover or the rump cap in the U.S., the Brazilian way is to cut it with a really thick layer of the fat cap 
still attached to the meat. And then they cut those down into individual steaks, and then they bend the steak as they push it onto the skewer so that the skewer can uh, go through each steak at two different points, thus making it more stable on the skewer. And they, as they bend the steak, that thick fat cap curves into the shape of a rainbow, a beautiful meaty rainbow. And they throw that on the churrasco grill. And when it comes out on the little stick there, it is just a whole stack of seared meaty rainbows. Actually, the surface looks more fried than it looks seared. Looks all golden brown and almost kind of bubbly. I imagine this is because they, well, they leave the fat cap on the steak and the fat renders or it melts as the steak cooks and they rotate the skewer as it cooks, which results in hot fat constantly dripping down each and every side of the piece of meat. That's the rotisserie effect, almost a deep fried surface on the meat. This waiter says, would you like picanha? And I'm like, yes. And he's like, rare or medium or done. And I'm like, rare. And he gets ready to carve from the upper region of the skewer where perhaps the meat was a little farther away from the flame. So it's a little more rare. Or maybe they just keep the fresher steaks up on top of the serving skewer. Maybe on the bottom, they have the steaks that have already been uh, refired a couple of times through the night to uh, heat them up. I, I don't know. But anyway, the costumed waiter stabilizes the tip of his skewer against my meat plate, and he starts carving off a slice of picana with his carving knife coming exhilaratingly close to my face on each stroke. And the meat tastes like hot, salty meat, which is what I am here for. Next guy comes by with linguisa, these incredibly flavorful, spicy sausages, and both Lauren and I noticed that the sausage waiter is, by far, the most handsome waiter working that night. And we wondered if that's a thing, where the waiters always give the sausage to the biggest chad they have on shift, in hopes that this will provide material for phallus jokes deep into the night. The waiters do seem particularly sexualized in their costumes of tall, shiny cowboy boots and literal gaucho pants. The servers are styled as gauchos, the semi-historical, semi-mythological cowboys of the Pampas. And the Pampas are the grassy lowlands on the southeastern coast of South America, an area that is just perfect for cattle ranching. The Pampas are shared by Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, as well as uh, Brazil's most southern state, which is Rio Grande do Sul, from whence the Brazilian steakhouse was born. And again, sorry for the Spanish pronunciation of Portuguese names. Portuguese is just phonetically impossible for me. Here's the story of gauchos that is probably part history and part mythology. European settlers from the Iberian Peninsula brought their livestock with them when they colonized South America. Not all of South America was friendly to cattle and sheep and horses, but the Pampas was. So friendly, in fact, that any livestock that inevitably escaped the farms and the villages of the region, they would not only survive out in the wild, but they would thrive and breed among themselves, and thus the uninhabited, 
unclaimed wild areas of the Pampas became home to just vast herds of feral European cattle and horses. There's no lions down there, no big predators, just rolling green oceans of free meat walking around. So the first gauchos were just guys who would go out into the wild to hunt feral cattle for their own subsistence and maybe grab a free horse that they could train to ride, I guess. I don't know. Eventually, of course, being a gaucho became a trade, mostly in cattle hides rather than meat, because there wasn't an international ice trade yet to transport meat in cold storage from one place to another. When the ice trade did emerge in the 19th century, that's when Argentina and Uruguay became major beef exporters, chiefly to the UK. Unfortunately, much of the means of beef production in the Pampas was also owned by the Brits. So the Brits ended up with both the product and the profit. Not much money stayed where the beef actually came from. This is what people mean when they talk about extractive, exploitative, colonial-type enterprises. And this is part of what led to all the revolutions in South America, in which the gauchos played a part. Again, according to legend, the gauchos were originally just lone rangers who would go out to hunt feral cattle for themselves. Gradually, all of those wild acres got bought up and claimed by rich landowners, and the landowners hired the gauchos to work as cowboys on these now fenced-off giant ranches or estancias. It would be like if you bought an abandoned building with squatters living inside it, and then instead of kicking the squatters out— you hired the squatters to work as security guards in your new building because they know every inch of it and they are legendarily tough and rugged badasses. So the gauchos go from being free wild men of the Pampas to working as ranch hands, driving other men's cattle. And then all the South American Revolutionary Wars started happening, and the gauchos are suddenly the most coveted fighters around because they are such rugged badasses, and thus you have the gaucho legend of today, the austere, noble warrior cowboy of South America. That is what these waiters are dressing up as when they put on the big shiny boots and the billowy pants. That's the gaucho of the Brazilian steakhouse, and the handsomest one brought us hot sausage in an amusingly sexualized ritual. I'm not mad about it. The next gaucho to saunter by offered us a giant hot skewer of teriyaki chicken. The Brazilian steakhouse is as promiscuously pan-ethnic as Brazil itself. It's basically the greatest hits of every culture's grilled meat repertoire. Another gaucho brought us garlic marinated filet, so incredibly good. As the Turks and all the peoples once under Ottoman rule can tell you, the skewer is the perfect format for marinated meat. Marinades only penetrate meat a few millimeters, so to get a lot of flavor, you have to increase the surface area of the meat, i.e. cut the meat into chunks, which makes them easy to marinate but hard to grill because it's a ton of small pieces to manage and to keep from sliding through the grates, so stick them all on one skewer. 
And marinating is particularly great for grilling because marinating fixes flavor into the surface layer of the meat that will remain in place even if you wipe the marinade off before you grill the meat, which you have to do, especially with a garlicky marinade, because it would just burn in the intense heat of the grill, the churrasco. The modern version of the rustic fireside grills supposedly used by gauchos living their unrealistically idealized life out on the pampas. The Trasco is traditionally fueled with hardwood, though sometimes now with charcoal or even gas and infrared in the most modernized versions. The grill grate can generally be moved closer or farther from the fire underneath, perhaps by turning a wheel, cranking it. The grate itself is often like a thinner wire grid, uh, but sometimes you see thick parallel bars. It's really just a giant, giant grill, often suspended at an upward-facing angle and positioned so that customers can see everything searing over those hot, hot flames. Again, it's a skewer, so we're talking relatively small pieces of meat, lots of surface area, so you can use incredibly high heat and you won't risk burning the outside before the inside is done. The inside cooks super quick, so you can just blast that crust and it comes out so unbelievably brown and juicy and fatty and salty and you can have as much as you want. As long as you don't flip that card over to the red side, the gauchos will keep bringing you different hot meat sticks until the restaurant closes or you die. My eyes were rolling back in my head. And then I hear a couple of uh, adolescent voices singing, happy birthday, dear mom. And I look and I see two tables down, the 11-year-old kid that I clocked the moment I walked in the dining room because he was wearing a full black suit and tie that was like a full two sizes too big for him. Like they bought it for him to wear at his bar mitzvah in a couple of years and they figure that he will have filled out by then. This kid and his big sister and their mom were having a, a fancy birthday night out and they dressed for it and they sang happy birthday, dear mom, without a hint of adolescent irony or resentment or grudging obligation. It was straight up sincere and so sweet and it made me so happy and I was already so happy at the Brazilian steakhouse. But then I realized I'm full of meat. We've only been here like a half hour. And I am full of meat because I have not declined any of the meats. I've just been like, why, yes, I will have the bacon wrapped, whatever that is. I'd even been so excited that I committed the ultimate Brazilian steakhouse faux pas, where this gaucho is carving off a slice, and then he asks you to catch it as he slices it off. And you're supposed to use this mini pair of tongs they give you so that you don't contaminate the rest of the meat on the skewer with your germs. But I was just, I was just too excited, so I reached for my slice with my fork, and I am so sorry, I was just, I was just really into it. But 30 minutes in, I was full. Lauren eats like a little baby bird anyway, so she was long since done. And when I go out to a restaurant on like a Friday night, I try to show that restaurant respect by eating and getting out. I try to not linger. I pay my bill. I leave a big tip. I get up and I free the table for the next customers. But nobody was bringing my bill at Braziros. 
didn't know what was going on. So I caught the eye of the lady who seated us and I, I delivered the international signal for, you can bring me my check. I'm ready to pay. This is, of course, indicated by pretending to write with a pretend pen on the pretend paper in the air. This is the international signal, but she seemed confused by it. She walks over and she leans in close to hear what I want. And I say, oh, we can take our checks anytime. And she does not seem to grok my request at all. Like I just see a face full of confusion. And is that a little disgust I also see in that face? I figure it's just some cultural language gap. Maybe the international symbol for check please is not as international as I'd believed it to be. Then the manager comes over to our table with this big look of concern on her face. And she says, hey, guys, everything okay over here? And we're like, yeah, everything was awesome. We're just, we're just ready to pay. And the manager is like, okay, with lingering confusion and concern in her voice. Like she doesn't understand our deal, but she is at least satisfied that we're not any kind of threat. We're not angry about anything. And so Lauren and I sat there for a while and we thought, you know, are they offended that we only ate unlimited meat for like 30 minutes? Are they offended that we're not staying longer? And it occurred to me that maybe they don't make their money off the meat so much. Maybe they make their money at the bar. The periodically circulating surprise meats are just there to keep you at your table, drinking and talking deep into the night. I was supposed to get some meat, flip my card over to red, eat drink, order another Zingu or two, digest a little, and then flip my card over to green and repeat. That's how other men go longer than I did. I just took all my meat in one go and then tapped out. Hence, the confused disdain with which the staff regarded me. I'm sorry, Brasieros, on Kingston Pike, next to the P.F. Changs. It was a rookie mistake on my part. I won't make it next time, and there will be a next time. Lauren said the Brazilian steakhouse experience is North American-level gluttony, but instigated by South American people. Therefore, we don't have to take all the blame for it like we normally have to take the blame for nearly every other gluttonous excess of modernity. And... That's the best part of the Brazilian steakhouse to us in the United States. It is grotesque indulgence on someone else's moral dime. I've been grotesquely indulging myself on your dime these last 40 minutes or whatever it's been. I thank you for that gift of time. It may have been less time than you were hoping for. The podcast is usually about an hour, but... I've been finding that I really prefer the single topic episodes. Those are my favorite ones to listen back to for sure. But there are only so many topics that actually deserve a full hour from me. I, I just want to give myself license to do some like half hour type topics whenever the inspiration strikes me. And let me tell you, I was inspired by that Brazilian steakhouse full experience. Go get your own inspiration at Brazieros or elsewhere. Make good choices. Grab the slice with the tongs, not your fork. Talk to you next time.